Today's show is super exciting. I've had a few people send in questions to me to answer on the podcast. And so today I'm answering those. I'm answering everything from sales tax and various tax obligations that you should be aware of every month to health insurance and how to navigate that in business, as well as operating agreements and business checking accounts and the like. So if you are interested in learning more about those things and how they impact your business, this is the podcast for you. Hey friend, welcome to the Small Business Finance Podcast. Do you want confidence and clarity with your business finances? Do you find yourself up late at night searching for tax deductions, how to track your business finances, or QuickBooks tips? Do you wake up with big ambitious goals, but you end up feeling confused and frustrated because accounting and tax is really boring? Hi, I'm Tiffany. I've heard this so many times from my clients who used to feel this way. They feel overwhelmed about what to do with their numbers and wish they could stop the financial madness. They wanted clarity and the ability to grasp the financial basics, no cool, when they had a question and to stop worrying about owing money to the IRS. But they thought they weren't good with numbers and the overwhelm kept them stuck without any solid financial plan until they realized that business systems are the ticket to gaining financial confidence. In this podcast, you will learn step-by-step systems, easy to understand financial tips, and mindset transformation so that you will gain financial confidence as an entrepreneur. So dust off your spreadsheet, warm up your coffee, and let's get going. I'm super excited to get into these questions and answer some of the things that listeners have asked of me. Really just want to say that I'm so thankful for the listeners that have sent in questions to me. I absolutely love answering your questions. And so I'm super pumped to be able to dig in and get to it. So let's jump into the first question that a listener sent in to me. And I'm actually just going to read their question and explain my thoughts and give some insights on what to kind of know and understand when it comes to various tax applications and just things you need to know as a business owner. These are the kind of questions, frankly, these questions that were sent in that are hard to navigate. They're like these seemingly small things that are really intimidating and you're just not really sure what to do with them. So let's do it. First question, the listener says, I do have a question, which is what I'm most struggling with and that's taxes. It's a bit confusing as to what taxes I'm supposed to pay on a monthly basis. I'm in the stationary business and I had registered my account and obtained an EIM. However, I wasn't aware that I needed to pay sales tax or report it on a monthly basis, especially when I'm just starting and haven't sold anything yet. I'm still purchasing machines and creating products, so I'm not ready to launch or sell anything yet. And I received a bill from the, from the Department of Revenue indicating that I owe the money. I guess I would just like a bit of guidance on this so I know how to move forward and if I can get the fees waived. And also, am I supposed to report my purchases? I've looked everywhere and have been reading about all of this to the point where it's overwhelming. So your expertise will be really appreciated. Awesome. So this is actually a really good question and one that I hear pretty often. It touches on a couple of things. So the overarching question on this is really related to sales tax. Sales tax, I'll just say it before we really dig in, sales tax can be really complex. So I'll just put a little caveat and let you know that if you have questions on sales tax, it's super important that you get with your state and dig in and do your best to understand it because sales tax is really, really niched, especially when you get into local sales tax and state sales tax all 50 states have different rules. I don't know which state the listener is from. So 
there might even be some things related to this specific state that I may not touch on. So I'm, I'm hoping I can give you some guidance and we'll get you further along than you were so that you can get at least some re resolution to this. The other question that she's asking is overall taxes. And so I'm going to hit on that really briefly, but let's talk about sales tax first. So when it comes to sales tax, what the state will do when you register with them, if you don't provide them a monthly or quarterly, every state varies on how, how frequently they're going to want you to send a sales tax report in uh, from the beginning. But if you don't send in the report and they're expecting one from you because you have registered with them, they're going to automatically assess an amount that you owe them. There literally is no rhyme or reason for the amount. It's kind of crazy, honestly, because as the listener did, I'm sure she got this invoice and freaked out and is worried because she's like, I didn't even make any money. Do I owe this? Can I get it waived? What's the deal? And it's really scary. And so I would say that first things first, no, you do not owe this if you have not sold anything yet, because they can't assess tax on you that you haven't like that you don't actually owe. So essentially what you need to do in this situation is even if you don't have any sales, if you have registered with your state as someone who's going to be selling goods that do collect sales tax on them, you will need to file zero sales tax reports until you actually have sales um, that merit collection of, of tax. And by doing that, they're satisfied and they know that nothing was sold that you collected any money on and that you're good. If you don't send that, you are going to get an invoice where they're assuming how much tax that you owe. Again, there's no rhyme or reason on how much they're assessing. They're just assuming an amount, probably based on some sort of averages within their database or something like that. I, I don't even know. Honestly, when they do things like this, it's always kind of interesting because it makes no sense. And I think what they're hoping is that you as the taxpayer are going to get that invoice and just pay it. I've actually seen that happen quite a few times where my clients at my CPA firm will um, send me an email saying, hey, I have this invoice from the state. I'm not really sure what it is, but I went ahead and paid it. Just letting you know. This actually happened a couple of weeks ago. I'm in the state of Texas and we have what's called Texas Franchise, which is a business tax for businesses that make over you know, certain threshold of income. And so I got this from him and he actually didn't owe that money at all, but he got this invoice for like a thousand dollars and went ahead and paid it because, well, I got this invoice from the state, so I must owe it. So I would caution you when you get things like that from your state, whether it's for sales tax or your business tax, if you don't believe that you owe it, then you really need to check into it to make sure that the amount that they have on their end really is correct. So in this, in this instance, I would tell you the listener to send in the report to your state, marking that you had zero sales, and that should clear everything up. What you might do after you actually submit that report, if you submit it electronically within about a week, I would call the state and just make sure that everything has been taken care of, that they've removed the assessment of the tax. If you have to send it by paper, you're probably gonna have to wait a little bit longer to do that. Uh, and every state's gonna be different on how long it takes for them to process paperwork at this point. But I would say definitely follow up make sure that it is handled and that everything has been removed. The other thing that she hits on here is asking about if she's supposed to report purchases. So in general, when it comes to reporting purchases, most people do not have to do that. 
The only time that you're going to have to report purchases and then pay sales tax on that is if you didn't pay sales tax on the purchase and your state has a requirement that you're supposed to pay sales tax on it. So I hardly ever have seen that in my over 20 years as um, a CPA and an accountant, both in corporate and uh, in public accounting. So most people are not going to have this issue. So more than likely, it is not going to be something that you need to worry about. Again, on things like this, it, what I have found, at least in the state of Texas, the sales tax office is actually pretty helpful, which is shocking because normally the government's not helpful at all. But um, the state of Texas is actually pretty helpful when it comes to having specific questions like this. So you might try your state and actually call them. Now getting through to the right department, that's a whole other thing. But on situations like this, sometimes it takes a little bit more fact finding. And like I said, when it comes to actual sales tax, they're pretty good about answering specific questions. So if there's a specific question you have and I haven't answered it, maybe this has like sparked some other questions in your mind, don't hesitate to actually reach out to the state and then just find out from them specifically if there's some sort of a rule or caveat. Okay, let's get to the next question. So there are actually two questions that were sent in that are kind of similar. It's related to health insurance. So I'm going to read off the first one and then answer it and read the next one because they're enough different than there's a, definitely some different insights that I have on it. So second question says, my question is about health insurance and small businesses. I am wanting to figure out how to make it work best for my situation to deduct it from taxable income. I am actually considering a medical health sharing program over insurance, which is throwing a loop into my availability of resources. My business is an LLC partnership with no employees, only two members getting the schedule K-1. Okay, so medical insurance, if you will, that's kind of a shared service, a share a health sharing program is actually really popular among um, small business owners, particularly Christian small business owners. Um, I've actually used one myself. And so I am familiar with those and I understand kind of how they work. So let me shed a little bit of light on this, but there's a couple of different facets that I need to go through first. So first of all, with this being a partnership, and having two partners with no employees. So that this these facts are really important. So typically, if they were buying a normal health insurance policy, then the partnership would pay for those premiums. And then that would actually be a line item on the K-1 so that on the partner's personal tax return, that deduction would show there. There's actually a spot on the 1040 for self-employed health insurance. It reduces taxable income. And so under normal circumstances, that is where it would go. Now for a medical um, health sharing program, which I'm assuming is like Christian Healthcare Ministries or something like that, that is actually not considered health insurance per the IRS. So it gets a little bit more complicated as taxes usually do. But with this type of a program, it's actually a charitable contribution. It's not actually health insurance, according to the IRS. So essentially what you would do is whenever you're doing your accounting for the partnership, you would put it as a charitable contribution. And then that would also flow on the K-1 to your personal tax return. The unfortunate part about that is if you're not able to itemize your deductions on your personal tax return, then you're not going to get the tax benefit for it because uh, charitable contributions are not actually deductible on a partnership and you only get that 
deduction on your personal return on Schedule A. And Schedule A is where you get mortgage interest, where you get real estate taxes, charitable contributions, that sort of thing. Uh, that is how you would handle that is you would just want it to flow through on the K-1 as a charitable contribution. Now, the next question that is also in line with this, I'm going to hit this really quick. So this question from the listener says, can I pay for my health insurance with my business? We have a health sharing ministry type of insurance, but we just pay for it personally. And I'm wondering if it can be part of my pay. And I happen to know that this listener has an S-Corp. So the situation is similar, but a little bit different. So on an S-Corp, so typically, um, and let me back up a little bit too. With a partnership, partners never take W-2 wages. Everything is going to flow through. They're, they're actually considered more self-employment. With an S-Corp, they are considered W-2 wages, uh, wage earners. And so um, it can be a little bit more complex. Typically with an S-Corp, if you're paying health insurance, then you would actually ideally set it up to where on your W-2, you are taking the deduction for health insurance. But again, because a health sharing program is not actually considered insurance, then essentially what you're going to do is you would, in this instance as well, code it as a charitable contribution, and then it would flow through on your K-1 and it would be itemized on your Schedule A on your personal tax return. The other two entities that I would say, C-corporations, which most likely uh, hardly any of my listeners have, C-corporations, you can actually deduct charitable contributions. So in that situation, it would be a deduction in the entity. And then if you are either a DBA or a single member LLC, then it would also flow through to your Schedule A in this situation for kind of a health sharing program. Now, if you have true health insurance and it really is a like a Blue Cross Blue Shield or United Healthcare or that sort of business, like that sort of a provider, then you just want to make sure that the health insurance is uh, deducted on Schedule 1 of your 1040. And there, like I said, there's a spot for it for self-employed health insurance, which actually reduces your taxable income. So there is a very distinct difference between health sharing programs and actual health insurance in the way that the IRS treats them. Okay, my last question here, the listener says, I've set up an LLC for my business and gotten an EIN for it. Now I have a couple of questions. I need an operating agreement and I'm not sure where to go or what what to get what to do to get one. Can I use a template from the internet for this? Also, I know I need a bank account for the business, but I'm not sure if it needs to be a business or a personal account, if that matters, and what the difference is between the two. Once you have an LLC and you've got your EIN, then you're kind of off to the races at that point, but you still have a few more little boxes to check, and that's kind of where she's at. So uh, with an operating agreement, there are some things to point out that are pretty important when it comes to operating agreements. If you have a business partner, it is super important to use a, a lawyer to actually draft up an operating agreement. You can get operating agreements online through like LegalZoom and places uh, like that. But if you have a partner, I would say those out of the box operating agreements are not going to, to do you justice if you actually have a disagreement with your partner and you go to court over it. Inevitably, there will be gaps in that operating agreement or holes that should have been filled, questions that should have been answered, and it's going to be a problem. So if you have a business partner, just do it straight out of the box the right way. Just hire a lawyer, have them 
create an Auburn agreement for you. I'm not sure how much that's going to cost. Probably a lot of it depends on how complex your business is. I would guess it would be anywhere between $1,500 and maybe $2,500 or $3,000. Not cheap for sure. But I've seen instances where business partners have problems. They end up in disputes in an arbitration and lawyers get involved and it just gets really ugly really quickly. So save yourself that worry and just handle it correctly from the beginning. If you are a single member LLC and you are the only person in this business, then it's a little bit simpler and you don't have to worry about the partner. Now that's not to say that there is no use for an operating agreement. There still could be a use for it. There still could be some reasons why you would want one. But I would say as a single member LLC, you do have the ability to use something that's more out of the box, a legal Zoom operating agreement or something like that. It doesn't hurt to just check with your lawyer and make sure that there's nothing that's been missed, but you don't have the exposure that you would with a business partner. Now, if you are in business with your spouse, I would say it is still really important to get an operating agreement simply because if something happens and you and your spouse end up getting a divorce and you're splitting the business, then it's literally just like if you had a third party business partner that you're in dispute with and you want to make sure that the operating agreement is solid. You do those things long before there's a problem because once there's a problem, it's past the point of conversations and figuring things out. Then you're literally going off of a document. You have these conversations when you're on good terms. So that if something happens and you're not on good terms, that you've already worked through all the issues and it's just a matter of what does the document say? Again, if you're a single member LLC, then you could probably get away with kind of an out of the box legal Zoom operating agreement. Anything more than that though, I just strongly caution you against some standard operating agreement just to have one. It's just going to cause more problems than it will benefits. So the, the last part of our question is, if she needs, does she needs a bank account for the business? And if she needs one that's personal or business, this is actually an interesting question. It's one that I had not ever considered myself just because I know you go to the bank and you get a business checking account, but it's interesting that the the listener isn't really sure of the differences in those. So I want to explain why a business checking account is important and why you don't just get a personal checking account. When you set up a personal checking account, that's in your name under your social security number and not tied to any business entity or EIN of any sort. When you set up a business checking account, it is tied to an EIN. In this situation, she has an LLC, so it is tied to an LLC. And so from a tax perspective, that is going to look really different on how things should be treated. If you put income from a business in a personal checking account that's tied to your social security number, then that should be on schedule C of your 1040 and all profit would be subject to self-employment tax. If you put the income in an LLC that is with a checking account under that name and an EIM, then it is possible that that business could file as a partnership or an S corp or even a C corporation. And there could be varying tax benefits for that. Not only that, that by putting that income into the LLC, you get the protection of the LLC. So if someone were to sue you, then there is a separate and distinct difference between the LLC and you personally. 
which is really why you get an LLC. You want to have that protection. You want to be able to separate yourself so that there is a distinct difference between Tiffany Phillips, the business owner, and Tiffany Phillips, the individual. Because a lawyer is going to look to try to muddy those waters. If someone sues you, the opposing counsel is going to try to make it as if there is no distinction between you um, from a business and you personally. Because if they can do that, then they can go after your personal assets, which is not what you want. So you never, never want to put business income into a personal checking account. Um, if you have an LLC and you've done the things that you need to, to be able to create some legal separation from you and the business. And if you were to do that, but you're filing your taxes as an LLC and maybe you've elected S corporation, but that income all went into a personal checking account with your social security number. If you were ever audited, the IRS very easily would just throw out the fact that you had tax benefit from the S corp, put it all on the schedule C for 1040. And then you would actually end up owing quite a bit of money more than you paid because you would have to pay the 15.3% on all the profit of that business. So hands down, you definitely want to use a business checking account for your business um, and make sure that you keep the funds separate. You never, never want to commingle personal use of the funds in your business account. You basically want to just transfer money from the business account over to the personal account and then pay for personal things. And it goes back to that legal separation that, I'm, that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Just super important to be able to keep those things separate. So that is all the questions for today. Like I said, I'm super excited. I've been able to go through those and help you guys out. I love this sort of thing. I truly love helping you navigate some of these difficult situations. So if you have other questions, absolutely shoot me an email. The email's in the show notes. I would love to feature your question on a future episode. If you haven't done so yet, please leave me a five-star review for the podcast. When you do that, more people are actually exposed to the podcast. The podcast platforms push it out to more people to where they can also hear it and get recommendations to listen to my content. And I would appreciate that so much. It just blesses me so much when, I, when you leave me reviews. So with that said, thank you so much for listening to today's show. And I can't wait until next time.